Hello, and welcome to the Woodard Report podcast, where we empower business advisors to transform businesses. This podcast is your source for information and news you need for your accounting, bookkeeping, or tax practice. And it is proudly sponsored by Expensify, the expense management app that does it all for every business. For more information about Expensify, please visit woodard.com slash podcast. And now your hosts, Joe Woodard and Heather Satterley. Well, we're back now for this next episode of the Water Report podcast. Heather, it's great to be back with you again. Absolutely, Joe. Excited about today's conversation. Yes, yes, me too. This is such an important one. And I'm going to be carrying out the topic today because we go back and forth on that. You're going to do the book of the, the, the episode segment. Super excited about the book you've chosen. We always have our TV and movie quote segment and our favorite social post. Then you end with your favorite Woodard Report article. So as always, it's going to be a packed episode. I'm going to lead out with the topic, and then I'm very interested to see what you think about the topic I'm going to bring to the table this morning. And it's it's about, for lack, I'm going to use kind of the technical term that I've given it. It's, it's the psychodynamics of client relationships. But what, we use in the, what we're going to use in the title of this podcast is something similar to like taking the power back in client relationships because there is a psychological power struggle in any relationship, husband, wife, parent, child, friends. And it takes on with this dynamic of client accounting service worker and tax worker, but especially client accounting services, which is the new term for bookkeeping, right? Mm Mm-hmm. In that dynamic of doing the bookkeeping, the client accounting services work, you're so intricately involved with the client, sometimes on a daily basis, working through the processing of their back office, um, This, the psychodynamics can become painful and extremely difficult to navigate. Um, so in order to maintain, it's not about a, a manipulation-based power struggle or a power trip. When we say taking the power back, what we just mean is balancing the scales of power because the slate is naturally tipped in the favor of whoever you're providing the work for and whoever is paying for that. I mean, I have to be constantly aware, Heather, as the, the, the owner of the company, not to let that kind of a psychodynamic creep into the culture of Woodard, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm tech, I'm, and I'm using my air quotes, technically, you know, providing for all 20 something of these families. Well, the, what I have to remind myself of is no, I'm not. We're jointly providing for each other because we're jointly creating the wealth for the company. Well, I, it took a 20 years of business ownership over 20 years of business ownership and about a thousand books, it feels like I've read and, and countless hours of soul searching to figure out that I'm not all that in a bag of chips by myself, that it truly is a team, right? right. But how many of our clients don't think that way? How many clients of, our, of ours think, well, I'm paying the bills. You wouldn't even have this income without me. I'm the successful entrepreneur. I'm the business builder. You know, I'm the king in my own mind. Delusions of grandeur start to creep in, right? And um, and then they and then the power trip begins, right? And you're kind of lucky to work for me, or you need to do what I say, or you know. And it becomes it becomes an unhealthy psychological. Here's that word again, dynamic. 
So if you feel yourself getting into that gravitational pull with a client, um, understand too, and I've trained over 125,000 of you. I actually think it's over 150,000 of you. I kind of stopped counting at 125,000. But I've learned that in this client accounting services world, it's especially so in the non-credentialed space, um, we're bringing uh, a little bit of the problem to the table statistically. If, you, if this is not relevant to you, if this does not apply to you, then fine. This doesn't, then you can disregard this part of the podcast. But what I've learned, Heather, you can tell me if it's been your experience too. More times than not, when dealing with non-credentialed professionals, and more times than not when dealing with women, right? Right. Because of the struggle that women go through. When you're dealing with non-credentialed professionals and more times than not when you're dealing with women, I find that they are bringing to this dynamic some mindsets that feed the imbalance and the power. And that's and so I want to address this, whether you feel like that replies to you or not, everything here will help you. But if you're bringing in a rescuer mindset or you're bringing in the mindset that this person's supposed to have power over me as my client, this episode's going to be particularly powerful for you. So number one, to insulate yourself and to balance the scales of power is to understand the client's problem is not your problem. Uh, I talk at our pricing workshop uh, about the concept of the uh, the endless vacuum of human need. And I tell everybody in that pricing workshop, it's one of the reasons, Heather, we underprice and give away work, is we see this need out there and we think it's our job to address it. So the rest of the sentence is, there's, a, there's an endless vacuum of human need, here comes the rest of the sentence, and it's not your job to fill it. Right? That's not your job. Now, what is your job then? Your job is to, to provide to the client some wealth generating benefit that leaves them better than when you found them, but not to rescue them, not to solve their problem, not to, the, the actual psychological term is codependency, which doesn't mean interdependency. It means the definition of codependency, and I, I learned this in graduate school, is not interdependency. The definition of codependency is some, I, I make somebody else's problem my problem. That's the, that's the textbook definition of it. I make somebody else's problem my problem. And then when you have codependency, it breeds enablement. You enable the person to persist in their problem. Now, this was reinforced whenever I had a beloved family member outside of my immediate family go through uh, drug rehabilitation. And they use this term a lot with the family members about don't become codependent, don't make their dependency on the drug your, your problem, and don't enable them to continue in their use of the drug. Well, I got to thinking the whole time I was going through this sort of family member and friends training, I was thinking, these are truths, powerful truths that tax and accounting professionals need to understand as well. Um, so if the client, say, for example, comes to you and they haven't filed their tax return in two years or they haven't filed their tax return for the most recent fiscal year and it's September the 1st, our inclination is we can make it work. Let's get you taken care of. You know, rescue them and endear yourself 
to them so I can pick up a new client relationship. We have a war story as we're shooting the bull five years from now. Hey, you having them that crazy way we met? That's not how it's going to work out. If they, you know, not 99 times out of 100, if you rescue them, they're just going to come back and, and they're going to be in a position of perpetual rescue. So it's more of a warning flag not to make that your problem. So some of the things that we rehearse in our coaching program with our members, uh, we, we, we create a lexicon of statements. And one of the lexicons of statements uh, that we give them, one of the statements we give them is, um, I'm sorry, we're not taking on any more 1099 work this year. I'm sorry, we're not taking on any more tax work at this time. So that when people, you know, if you just fill in the blank, we are not taking on any more fill in the blank at this time. And then you create a, a standard within your practice. And if you're a practice of one, you create it within your own brain. Maybe even write down the date, stick it on a sticky pad on your on your monitor. But after January the 5th or whatever the date off cutoff date is, December the 15th, whatever it may be, you don't take on any more 1099s. After uh, you know February the first, you don't take on any new tax clients unless they're willing to expend, extend whatever your cutoff is, right? And then if if you're pressing up against the final extension dates, it could be August the first. We we don't take on any tax clients after August the first, um, except maybe it's July the first for corporate returns. Whatever your cutoff is, make sure that it is generous to you, protects you and insulate you from a policy standpoint of making the client's problem your problem. Clients also come to us and they need this massive cleanup work. The bank's gonna pull my line of credit, um, you know, or I've got this investor and they wanna buy, but I haven't had clean books for two years, but I gotta have them all, all of a sudden right in a month. And, you know, look, you can be sympathetic, even empathetic with a person's pain, but not not take the fact that they have gotten themselves into a position to make that your problem. Okay, so that's a couple of examples of things that we typically can fall into the gravity well on. And just, I can't stress it enough. Once we do, this is not a one and done. You don't help them and then move on. You help them and then create the very power imbalance in perpetuity um, that you're trying to avoid. Uh, number two, if you want to stay in the right frame of mind and balance the power scales, then you need to maintain an economic independence from your clients. That That's maintained by not having any single client be too large of a percentage of your income. It's okay to take on a large client that might spend 20 or 30 or 40 or $50,000 a year with you. Absolutely but they should never be more than 5% of the total revenue of your practice. And there's the difference. So if you're finding that you take on one of these big accounts and because you took on one of the big accounts, you have no bandwidth, no capacity to business build around this really big client, this really big account, then you probably shouldn't have taken it. Um, you know, Or if it's gonna take you three or four years to get to the point where that very large account is only 5% of your revenue. You probably shouldn't have taken it. You probably should have referred that to someone else. But the other way we fail to maintain economic independence, we take accounts that are too large and they skew the percentage. The other way we do it is we, we paint ourselves into economic corners. And once we get ourselves painted into the corner, we're desperate for the money. 
We then think if I don't take this client, even though I can tell they're a jerk and even though I can tell they're going to be a problem child and even though I I know that they're never going to get me the stuff I need and even though they really, really negotiated me down on the price, I'm still going to take them because if I don't take them, then I don't know how I'm going to make the, you know, the pay the bills. Or if I don't take them, I'm probably going to have to let somebody go. And then we end up taking the wrong client. Now, you know what happens, folks? Those people are often the lowest profit margin, or sometimes they're even, you know, it even cost us money to service them. And we're solving for the problem with an eat your arm kind of approach of, 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 of pushing more and more and more cash through the company without the profit to sustain growth and the profits to create health. Um, and more and more revenue at low profit margins is never going to solve the problem. Uh, make the painful decision to either cut back on your lifestyle temporarily, create a different kind of revenue stream that doesn't distract you from business building, let that beloved team member go if you have to. Do whatever it takes to not take the wrong kind of clients. Build a book that you do not want just in order to survive the day. And that's a particularly tough one to get through because I know whenever you're drowning, you'll kind of grasp for anything but you just have to check yourself on that thinking and make the other kinds of painful choices. Now, if the School of Hard Knocks has taught anybody on earth, Heather, that one, it taught me that one a few years ago. So this is coming from that school, that diploma I have from the School of Hard Knocks. Um, Number three, self-worth beyond client validation. you, You are intrinsically worthy, not just as a human being, which is probably the most important one, but you are worthy earned in an earned sense as a professional. You know, there's a saying that says expertise comes by putting in your 10,000 hours. Well, if you're a listener here and you're like, hey, I passed the 10,000 hour mark 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, I'm approaching it now. I mean, that's most of the folks listening to this podcast. You've got your 10,000 or your 20,000 hours or more. You've earned your place at the table. You've earned your professional worth. You know that you know your stuff. And just like every other professional, you don't know everything that there is to know. And just like every professional, you're never going to do what you do perfectly. Of course not. But your worth is not defined by your perfection. Your worth is not defined by your omniscience, which means your all-knowingness. And your worth is not defined by your client's validation of you. Your worth is defined by the confidence that you have in your past uh, consistent, but not perfect, perfect, perfect pattern of successes. So in the past, can you look and say, look, I understand Zero or I understand Zoho, or I understand QuickBooks better than the average consultant who consults with that. Do I know how to do the accounting process? In a, in a way that is better than most of my peers? Have I learned how to navigate complex client relationships, stack technologies, or whatever it is that provides this unique and differentiated value that you bring to the table that's shared by a minority of your peers? I want you to constantly remind yourself that you've earned that. And I want you to know that nobody can take that away. And if a client fires you, because they think that they can get the same thing that you provide from their mother-in-law's cousin, twice removed by marriage, his roommate they met at a family reunion. Look, that's their problem. You know that's not the same thing. 
if they think they can go to H&R Block and get the same thing, you know, that doesn't invalidate you. If anything, it's just the opposite. It invalidates their judgment as a business owner, not you. Look, and, and if they reject something that you've done that you know you've worked hard for because it was imperfect or because they didn't comprehend it, that doesn't invalidate you. It invalidates their ability to understand, appreciate, and value what you do. It's an it's a invalidation of themselves more than it is of you. So confidence is the opposite of arrogance. Arrogance is actually a mask that insecurity wears. Confidence comes not from me self-talking myself into some sort of a fleeting or shallow uh, validation of my worth. Confidence comes by looking at the 10,000 hours I've put in, or for you, it might be 3,000 hours you put in or whatever, and understanding that I have earned, earned through experience that place at the table. A lot of times, folks, number four, we will adopt the employer-employee framework. Now, I alluded to this a little bit as I was teeing up the topic, but they own the business. They're writing us a check. It is their operation that we are operating on their behalf, and we can fall into this uh, dynamic of the relationship really quickly. Now, if, if this is a, a good employer who understands the value of their team comes from this teamwork that I was uh, talking with Heather about earlier, then falling into this is not as deep of a power imbalance. But like we said at the beginning, most employers, if you get into this frame of mind where they view you as an employee or a contractor, they'll often say, hey, I've got a contracted bookkeeper. No, they don't have a contracted bookkeeper. They have a client accounting services expert who advises them and who operates for them in a way that they could not do it without this person working from the outside as an esteemed professional. They didn't hire you as a contractor and they start getting that frame of mind, correct it quickly, right? Because it's in their mind, all they're really saying is you're a non-W-2 employee. But, but the problem is we often bring the same framework to it. Even if the, even if the client doesn't want to perceive us that way, we perceive ourselves that way because of the dynamic of the relationship. And then we, we create in their mind something they didn't even want. We create in their mind that we're the employee. And it's how we speak to them. It's how we behave around them. It's how we service them, how we challenge or don't challenge them, how much we let them direct the way that we do our business. I mean, could you imagine me calling my lawyer and saying, hey, look, you know, I like you. You do great contract work. You've helped me out of some binds in the past, but this whole Clio thing you're on, <laughs> I can't deal with that. You're going to have to get off of Clio and you're going to have to go with something else. As a matter of fact, my favorite legal solution and the one that I'm going to insist that you use is fill in the blank. My lawyer would laugh. He would actually think I'm telling a joke, right? Because I don't see my attorney as a quasi employee of my company. Some people do employ lawyers. Just because some people employ lawyers doesn't mean that when I engage a lawyer that he's my quasi-employee or that he's my contracted lawyer, 
I mean, we don't think that way. So we need to put ourselves into the same framework, the, the same frame of mind. And look, the tax preparers, there's this whole level of professional abuse. Uh, not, that sounded like the inverse. There's this whole level of abuse against the professionals that takes place by clients against the tax preparers too. But at the very least, the clients don't try to dictate which tax product they use. You know, so we've got to dig our heels in on the technology. We've got to, we've got to tell the client how we're how they're going to run their back office, and it'll help us to avoid this employee employer employee framework of mind. And then the last one that I want to bring up is an over exaggerated sense of loyalty. Um, yes, it is a deep relationship. Sometimes you're in the trenches with your clients. Sometimes that you you're working through uh, kind of these these struggles that. You know, you bled together, you know, lots of lots of the, the the blood, sweat, and tears element to the relationship, and sometimes they stuck with you when things got tough too, and that can breed a healthy sense of loyalty as it should, but it can also breed an unhealthy or over exaggerated sense of loyalty, which is bad. And at the end of the day, if you both bled together, if you both sweated together, if you both got through it together, neither one of you owes anything to the other. You, you paid all that debt as you went. You worked through it together as you went. And if a client relationship is no longer a fit for you, because maybe you've moved up market, maybe you have finally started pricing what you're worth and they can't afford you anymore. Maybe you move to a different kind of technology that they can't or are unwilling to adopt. Whatever it may be, we have to resist the inclination to give them power that they may not even want and say, we're going to carve out an oval peg here, an oval space for the round peg and make it fit where it really doesn't belong anymore. It's entirely appropriate just to say, you know, it's been a great run which is a great thing to have in your lexicon, by the way, Heather, right? For this, what we tell our members. It's been a great run, but now it's time to move on, right? Turn the page. All right, Heather, what are, what are your thoughts to those five things? Let me summarize for the listeners that may have been doing this while they were driving. So number one is the client's problem is not your problem. Number two, we need to have economic independence from clients. Number three is our worth is not dependent on the client's validation. Number four, we have to avoid the employer-employee frame of mind. And then number five, we have to have a healthy but not over-exaggerated sense of loyalty with those long-term clients. So, Heather, what are your thoughts? I just, I love all of this. Um, you know, this is something, having, you know, being a woman in accounting and having, you know, started, built, and sold two firms, um, this really resonates with me. Uh, you know, a couple of things that, or the main thing that came down to that really kind of resonated with me was, and, and I actually want to add to that is, you know, it really reminded me of the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset that somebody brought to my attention several years ago, uh, where the abundance mindset was, there's enough work to go around, right? There's enough work to go around. Um, we're, there's, um, we're here to help each other. A business relationship is me providing value to you, you va providing value to me. And that really, when you look at it that way, you're providing value to your client and they're providing value right back to you. You know, when we engage with a client, it doesn't become an indentured servitude for us, right? Um, we, we can leave, 
we can stay. But here's the thing, it's our business and we get to define what our business looks like. And if you are in that situation and kind of where my mind was going, my mind was going, you know, when I was listening to you, uh, you know, speak Joe was, what do you do when all of a sudden, and a lot of you that are listening right now are, are going to be like, yep, that's me, is what do you do when you're, you're in it and you realize that you have all of these all of these things going on in your practice, how do you get out of it? Like, it's easy to say, just do this and, you know, pull this lever and pull this lever, but it's very emotional. I mean, everything that you were talking about comes down to how we feel and that's hard. I mean, you could be in the worst, most dysfunctional relationship, yet you still have, as you said, a loyalty to it. And there's still that feeling of, you know, know, the, the memories of the good. Right. So when you're in a dysfunctional relationship and when you're in, you know, therapy or whatever, I think Joe and you and I talked about this the other day that, you know, you're in uh, therapy and they're talking about, you know, you need to leave a bad relationship. And why is that so hard? Because you have all of those good memories, too. It wasn't all bad. Right. So I think the thing that has to happen first is that you have to take ownership of your business and understand it's yours and that you get to decide. Like everything that you do, you get to decide and that you have to you know, really think about what does that ideal business look like for you and how are you going to make it work for you? So and I love that you get to decide piece, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Starbucks gets to decide every time I walk in there that they're not going to serve me a hamburger. Right. And if I insist upon one, then I'm I'm the nutcase, not them. <laughs> you know, right. you know, um, so, yeah, you get to decide which technology you use. You get to decide which services you offer. You get to decide exactly how much you're going to charge, you know. And of course, there are certain market factors that check us on that. I can't decide I'm going to charge $1,000 an hour for my bookkeeping. But, you know, I think the listener, everybody gets the point, right? You can take the control back. You get to decide. I love that, Heather. One of the things I love is in when we're talking about ideal services in in our coaching and in our education, you know, we talk about, um, you know, doing a service inventory and looking at what you're actually doing across your business. And it's mm-hmm. always amazing, Joe, how many of our members and our, our clients, you know, <laughs> they identify things that are completely outside of the scope of what they're actual, of CAS services. They're doing marketing, mm-hmm. consulting, they're doing, you know, therapy (laughs) they're doing all kinds of things that are completely and when they actually do that services inventory it's a big wake-up call for them and then what you're able to do is define your boundaries because then you know Mm. right it's like when you create a budget the first step is tracking your spending same same principle right so yep it absolutely is yeah I'm so. loving this. Okay, so folks, hopefully those five principles help you. Hopefully, hopefully others' uh, thoughts, which were very profound about them, also help you. And we want you to balance the scales of power. Mm-hmm. And maybe a little bit imbalanced, Heather, in their favor, because they're the ones that are supposed to be influencing the change, steering right. the direction, creating the wealth. So if, this, if, this, if it's going to tip in any direction when it comes to the matters of accountancy and tax, then it needs to tip in your favor. All right, so now let's move on to our TV and movie quote segments, one of my favorite ones. Um, Heather, what did, uh, what did you watch recently that resonated with you that might bring something to our listeners? 
So I discovered, I can't believe that this has been around for such a long time, but I just discovered Arrested Development, which is hysterical, by the way. It's very off color. It's a great show. Very off color, but it is hilarious. So um, the the scene that really um, stuck out to me was they have this banana stand, this family frozen banana stand, and it's actually throughout all five seasons they... They find all kinds of great business cases for this, but this particular one just resonated with me because I'm an accountant. And so the son and the niece in the show, George Michael is the son and maybe is the niece, both work at the banana stand. They're like 15 years old. And uh, maybe needs money. They decide they need money, and so they decide they're gonna start stealing from the till. And so uh, George Michael tells maybe that at the end of the day, they figure out how much was sold by going and counting the bananas that are left. So maybe says, oh, well, no big deal. And so she says, she takes a dollar out of the till and then she throws a banana away. And she's like, we solved the problem. (laughs) 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 So uh, (laughs) what ends up happening is their grandfather, you've got to watch this, so I'm probably giving too much away, but uh, the grandfather's in prison for all kinds of things. Um, But he actually sends an arsonist to burn something down. And he's Hmm. supposed to burn down the banana stand, I think, to get insurance money or something like that. And so he comes in and um, is talking to them, and she's explaining how they are uh, embezzling (laughs) from the banana stand. And so she's talking to him. She says, we throw away a banana for every buck we take so no one finds out. And this embezzler or this this arsonist that was sent to burn the place down says, wait a minute, I think you need to do the math on that again, right? (laughs) And George Michael says, why is it wrong? And maybe the answer is, it's fine. He's an arsonist, not an embezzler. So how could he possibly know? (laughs) Right, exactly. Everybody has their specialty, right? Everybody has their specialty. And so I think... Where the business case could say, rather than I just picked this because it was hilarious and I thought it was funny, um, is that you never know. I mean, people, our clients know stuff, right? They know yes. stuff. We can't assume that they don't. So um, anyway, that was my my takeaway, which is really silly. That's hilarious. And I've actually seen that scene, too. And it is, it is absolutely a blast. Um, I also talk in our pricing workshop about how there are only two things that people will uh, value in this world. And um, it's how you make me feel and how you solve my problem. So obviously they, they weren't solving their problem well with the banana thing. Right. So they had an anti-solution. Uh, embezzlement can actually have tremendous value if you want (laughs) to think of it without the ethics. Right. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's what came to my mind. If they, if they were just better embezzlers, then they could have created value, not ethical value, not moral value, not legal value. Just understand that value can, you know, can be illegal too. You know, um, arsonists, arsonists solve problems. You know, they, you need insurance money. You get somebody to burn something down. They solved your problem. Again, not ethical, not legal. Well, the, but, the other thing that yeah. it made me think of, Joe, was when you have that Excel formula, right, that is completely wrong and you run all, when you're first learning as a, a fledgling accountant and you go in and you put in the formula and then you're looking at the end result and it just doesn't make sense. And then right. you realize that you've done it. It's kind of like putting a debit where a credit should be, Right. Yes. Um, so, and they got but, their debits and credits off on these. Bananas. Oh, they totally they're, did. They're, right. Now, my account, my accountant brain was like, no. So. 
That is fantastic. But it, yeah, and it does speak if they had a legitimate business too, on how easy it is to create systems and processes that you don't realize are bleeding you out. Right, right. right. Um, there's a lot of lot of cool stuff in that. So um, mine, I'm going to go a completely different universe, literally, and it's this fantastical world of Tolkien. And it's in the Rings of Power, which is the Amazon-produced prequel to the Fellowship of the Ring and the Lord of the Rings. Uh, Gladriel, who is this, you know, an Elrond who uh, both been around by about 10,000 years by the time you get to the story of The Hobbit. But they're much younger now. They're about 2,000 years old. And um, they, they were fighting this evil. And it had been about 1,000 years since the evil had manifested itself. But Gladriel was not willing to stop hunting for it. She had been hunting for it for literally a thousand years. And she, so she comes to Elrond, and Elrond says, Gladriel, we have seen nothing of this evil in a thousand years. Surely this evil is asleep. And Gladriel said, evil does not sleep. It waits. And I came up off my chair. Because first, <laughs> there are so many life implications of that, Right. Um, and whatever, whatever journey you have in this world, you have to understand that evil exists in this world and non-evil exists in this world. And we can all kind of understand that sometimes evil waits, right? Um, there are certain evil thoughts that, that don't slumber. They wait, you know, uh, racist thoughts and, and, and political systems that are oppressive. We've seen them re-manifest themselves sometimes a thousand years later, right? Evil doesn't, doesn't sleep. It waits. So what's the business application of this? Well, I don't like hypervigilancy and I don't like scarcity mindset because both of those things feed on each other and they come out of pessimism, patterns of negative thinking, and they actually create self-fulfilling prophecies. If you have a scarcity mindset, you will, you will create scarcity, you know, through fear, through inaction, through the failure to take an appropriate level of risks because risk is always an element of increasing wealth. You can't have wealth without risk, um, not earned wealth. So, so, but on, but, but a healthy vigilance. Well, a healthy vigilance is just to avoid this sort of sense of magical thinking or confirmation bias or self delusion. A healthy vigilance understands that there is a negative energy out there somewhere, right? Whatever you want to call that, and there's negative intention out there. Maybe back to my topic. Maybe that negative intention is on the part of your client. Are your vendor, you know, are your partner, whether it's your partner in business, like your legal partner or partnership or your strategic partner, there's a certain, you know, humans are imperfect and certain times humans act in evil ways that is out there. And so a certain amount of healthy vigilance about its existence will protect you. But like so many things, we have to figure out how to have this healthy vigilance without it turning into paranoia and unhealthy vigilance. And somewhere in between those two is this messy middle where we where we live with people but we don't give them back to this too much power very wise words for sure all right you're bringing the book this time talk to me about the book i am so i am i just read getting naked by patrick lencioni it's not about taking your clothes off um it's about (laughs) and don't google for this book people warning oh (laughs) i did i did that once (laughs) Now everybody is so, Googling for the book, Joe. So just yeah, let yeah, you yeah, know. No, please don't. Please don't. 
<laughs> maybe go to Safe Search. But uh, yeah, I, I wish that was. I wish I was making that up. That was, that was a regrettable moment. Go to Amazon. Go to books. Then search the book right. "Getting Naked." Okay, go ahead, Heather. <laughs> That's our disclaimer there. That's our disclaimer. Exactly. <laughs> so I love this book. So I love fable. So he, he calls it. He calls it a fable, right? A business fable, and I love those. You know, another one that I read a long time ago that I really loved was Edie Osborne's Firm Forward, which is the same type of novel, and I loved that. And actually, they're very similar in um, in the story, right? So he he talks about in in the book, um, and I don't want to give it totally away, but he talks about how when we focus too much or too little on the relationships, and we don't own our business and own those relationships, um, that we end up missing the mark on um, other parts of our lives. So, you know, he talks about in one place, it says, you know, never let them see you sweat, right? Never Mm -hmm. let, we hear that, never let them see the sweat. And he actually challenges that and says, no, in order to have a really effective relationship, you have to be honest and bring it all in. And when you do that, you open up a sense of vulnerability with your clients um, that actually really strengthens it, allows them to see you as a person. And also it really opens up a next level of empathy with them, right? There's, it builds on trust. So I really love that. So a couple of, um, he has three main fears that he say drives these, um, these, uh, these negative kind of thoughts within our, our business and ourselves. And that's the fear of losing business, which you talk about actually in, um, that you just discussed. Uh, fear of being embarrassed and fear of feeling inferior. And it's so funny, Joe, because when I um, was reading this, I could see so much of my own journey. You know, I'm throughout my 30 years, if you can believe it, of my career, um, you know, so much of going through this and reacting rather than being proactive and really, you know, um, being confident in who I was and what I was bringing to the table. Um so I, it's a really great book. I think that it's something that um, that that everybody should read. And it's really enjoyable because, it, mm. it, like I said, it's a story. It's not your typical business book where, you know, you know, it's talking about what you should do. It's a story, which I really love. Yes. So one of my favorite things that he says uh, to inoculate those fears is he said, just just enter the danger. Just, mm-hmm. you know, and jump right into the messiest part of a business you know, appropriately under an engagement with the right scope. Again, don't, don't, don't rescue, but entering the danger isn't rescuing. Enter the da- entering the danger is not being afraid to go right to the heart of a problem and say, okay, let me work through this with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I loved that one. And uh, tell the kind truth. He right. says that too in right. the book. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you can have the right time, turf, and tone, but still be the truth. And don't water it down. Don't beat around the bush. Don't haw or hammer because these are a lot of these business owners. They can't respect it if you're tiptoeing around. Just hit them right between the eyes. And if you're giving them the kind truth, and it is the truth, and you're doing it from a perspective of, of wanting to see their business succeed, if they fire you over that, not your problem, <laughs> right? That that's just that that invalidates right. them. It invalidates well, them. So. And you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, when you do dance around the issue, 
right? That's where the truth just never comes out. And you end up in that situation where all of those things that you just discussed creep their way into the uh, into the engagement and into that relationship. So you really do. And, it, and, and honestly, it starts with being true to yourself. It starts with you just looking truthfully at yourself, what you want and, and what your vision, mission and purpose are for your company. So. Yep. And then being real in front of the client. because And being real in too. front of the client. Definitely. Yeah. Real and Definitely. transparent. All right. Yes. So a couple social tweets, because I know that we've been, we're coming up on our time here. Mm-hmm. Um, so a guy named Charlie Hirsch, haven't read many of his tweets before, but now I'm going to start reading more of them. I uh, got this off of LinkedIn. He's with a company called AccuBooks, B-O-O-X. And he said here, just in the spirit of this Patrick Lenciani getting naked, he said, um, I recently took on, it's kind of a long quote, but it's just, a, it's worth a read. Uh, I recently took on a new service-based business in town, and part of the scope of work was cleaning up the file a bit. I stopped taking cleanup jobs, you know, for a lot of reasons that we probably do too. He goes, but this was a small cleanup, right? He continued to be a monthly client. He's figuring out, well, okay, it's all worth it. Juice squeeze. So he says, I finished the initial cleanup, and then he sent me a whole other Excel sheet of items that he laid out before he opened the business on his personal cards and some of it had already been entered some of it had not and i had a choice this is so the this is so the getting naked book right he says i had a choice i could have sorted it all out and entered it all in while being resentful or just have a conversation have mm-hmm. a conversation explain what has to be done adjust the amount i'm going straight off his his post here he goes i chose the latter and I could not be happier than I did so. So he agreed, watch this, the client agreed without hesitation to the fact that it was going to cost more money. He said, because my clients my clients value accuracy over anything. If we'll remember that, they value accuracy mm-hmm. over anything. They right? do. Yep. And he goes, and at the and then he goes, I think I think I drilled it into them. I think he said, I think I drilled that into my clients. So he he lived out that whole boundary setting, not letting the scales tip in the power, not being a rescuer. He just had that whole experience that you have and I've been talking about the whole episode. So kudos, Charlie Hirsch. You go at AccuBox. Awesome. Mine's from X, formerly known okay. as Twitter. Yeah. And it was from Jesse Hirschbein, CPA. And he said, I hate the terms hashtag tax season and hashtag busy season. They send the wrong message to young professionals and we need to work intelligently on the hashtag CPA pipeline issue. It's not all about taxes or being busy. It's about being at your most valuable to your clients. Hashtag change the narrative. And I just loved everything about this because this is where we are sitting right now in the industry. And it's up to all of us to change the narrative. And it all comes down to everything we talked about today is that we can't, our industry, I'm not going to say we can't because it can continue the way that it is. It should not continue the way that it is. We have to redefine it. Um, We are more than numbers. We are people and we are deserving and we're brilliant and we bring lots of value to our clients. And the only way that we're going to get out of this, you know, rat race and this treadmill is to start seeing our own value and act accordingly. I love it. I love it. All right, well, let's wrap it up with your favorite Woodard Report article. You're the senior editor of the Woodard Report. This is the Woodard Report podcast. What was your favorite article over the last week or so? My favorite article, and again, believe it or not, this totally feeds into everything we just talked about, was by Sanjay uh, Swarup, who is the CEO of SKS Business Services. 
over in the UK and now the US. And he wrote an article called Build Your Firm as an Asset, Not a Job. Mm, and so, yeah, so he he talked about how, what they you know, what they do at SKS Business Services, um, which they have hundreds and hundreds of clients, um, which are accounting firms, and what things you can do to start changing that narrative and changing that within your own practice. So what are some of the good steps that you should be doing periodically to make sure that you are on the right path? So when you get to the point where you're going to retire or you want to sell, that you have an asset and it's not just a job. You're not just living the rat race. All right. Well, Heather, as always, it's been fantastic talking with you. Absolutely, Joe. This has been super fun. Uh, Yeah, it always is. It always is. And we're going to do another one of these very soon. We're going to continue to break it down for the industry. Uh, In the meantime, if you want to stay connected, look at uh, former podcasts, read some of these great articles in the Woodard Report, maybe check out the upcoming Scaling New Heights Conference and our membership program. You can do all that and so much more at woodard.com. We'll see you next time, Heather. All right. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please visit woodard.com slash podcast.